Welcome to What's the Dealio. I'm Kentaro. And I'm Leon. And in this episode, we'll be discussing American current events. The midterm elections were held on Tuesday, November 8th. It's been 12 days as of recording. And for a few remaining House races, vote counting is ongoing. Here's what we know, though. Democrats retained control of the Senate, and Republicans took control of the House of Representatives. Before we talk about the results, we should first look into what projections look like going into the election, especially with this being dubbed an unpredictable midterm by many analysts. 538, which is a polling aggregation website, had Republicans slightly favored to win the Senate and strongly favored to win the House, with a mean of 51 Senate seats and 228 House seats. The website collects data from various polls and runs thousands of simulations for the elections. In reality, Republicans currently hold 49 Senate seats, a minority in the Senate, and 218 House seats, which is the minimum for a majority in the House. There are still five uncalled House races, and out of those, four are leaning Republican. Journalist Dave Weigel of Semaphore and formerly the Washington Post, shed light prior to the election about what some Democrat groups had anticipated for the election, at best, an even Senate, and losing 20 House seats. In addition, for Republicans, the quote-unquote red wave, or even quote-unquote red tsunami narrative, was in full force, and not without reason. But the dominant red wave was far from what happened. So, Leon... Did you go into the midterms with optimism or pessimism as uh, someone who identifies as a Democrat? Yeah, I think um, going in, the general polls did favor um, Republicans that, as you mentioned, the red wave, red tsunami narrative was um, pretty strong. And I think that did um, actually part of that, I think um, part of the what happened in the midterms comes from that in that um, Republican voters may have been turned off from going to the polls in some places um, because of this strong red wave narrative, actually. And um, they felt that even in battleground states, they had a pretty good chance of winning, which, um, you know, some Republicans may have taken as a sign to not have to go out and vote personally. But um, going back to your question, yeah, I think um, personally, it was like cautious optimism. I think um, I understood that most likely the results would favor Republicans, but um, there was still, you know, a very good chance and a lot of key races, um, yeah, that were uh, being held seemed pretty close. Yeah, I, I, for sure going in. I, I think especially with Roe being a big issue, um, I also went into it with some level of optimism, but that's interesting what you're saying, talking about with uh, that kind of like complacency or I yeah guess, conf- overconfidence uh that's that's very interesting yeah it was um kind of an interesting kind of critique that came out after the midterms and uh, you know as we now know the republicans did underperform and i think that was something that was brought up um some commentators were talking about that um and then yeah talking about roe i think there were a lot of issues leading up to um, the midterms, uh, you know, last week and um, sorry, uh, two weeks ago. And um, I guess there was still uh, concern, though, about how the recency of events would definitely play a factor. And the fact that um, major issues that were being pushed by the Republicans included uh, inflation, which was 
a lot more in the forefront, arguably, um, of voters. And so there was a lot of talk about whether the Democrats' uh, narrative about um, upholding democracy would actually ring true with voters. So I think, yeah, considering all of that, it was definitely um, a lot of caution going in Mm -hmm. for Democratic voters, at least. Right. Well, so maybe we can look into if we shift into looking at the results. So as we said earlier, Democrats retained the Senate and Republicans took the House, which was formerly held by Democrats. Um, And we can't really go without discussing two of the bigger Senate races, which were, first of all, in Pennsylvania, uh, where a Senate seat was flipped from Republican to Democrat with um, Lieutenant Governor and Progressive John Fetterman winning out over the Trump-backed media personality, uh, you know, TV media personality, uh, Mehmet Oz. And secondly, in Georgia, which is the race between Democrat Rafael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker, um, which is still unconclusive uh, because it's progressed to a runoff because neither candidate got 50% of the vote. And so that's happening in December. Um, Either way, though, uh, Democrats have 50 seats, meaning uh, they have a majority since the tiebreaker goes to vice president, and that is Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, looking at those two races, or maybe the races in general, uh, Fetterman, he had his difficulties. Um, he had a stroke in the month, uh, or was it the month? Or I think it was, um, was like it five months September? prior. It was, uh, yeah, it was a little bit earlier. Six months ago, sorry. Yep. But Fetterman had the stroke going into it, and of course the debate was difficult against Oz, and both races were leaning Republican going into the election. So were you taken a surprise, taken by surprise with the results? Um, I think, uh, well, first to go with um, John Fetterman, I think his race was really close. And talking about that debate you mentioned, um, overall, I think voters in Pennsylvania saw Fetterman as more of a uh, man of the people kind of guy. They really liked his character, along with his policies, obviously. But um, there was definitely a contrast in character, I think, between Fetterman and, um, you know, Oz going in, especially with that debate. And um, there's a lot of uh, talk, I guess, about um, how that debate might have furthered that that contrast in their character. Because, um, you know, on one hand, I think... Um, John Fetterman did struggle to uh, retort to a lot of, um, you know, Oz's points um, during that debate. Definitely the um, effects of that stroke, um, you know, you can see that um, just as a viewer. But um, I think a lot of takeaway, though, wasn't just about what was being said, but um, overall the manner, the cadence and, you know, the tone of the uh, de- debate. And that might have favored Fetterman in that people were empathetic towards him, you know, and um, they saw Oz as more of this uh, cruel, not necessarily cruel, but, um, you know, this cutthroat politician, right, who was kind of scoring pro points in this situation. So I think that might have, yeah. It's interesting paid. because there's that which is kind of which side is is going to have a bigger effect. The fact that he had he is still uh, experiencing the effects of a stroke uh, and how that might impact his going into the role of a senator or you know that what you're saying is with the empathy so yeah that's interesting yeah i think um 
Well, you know, his uh, supporters will argue definitely that um, he's more than competent still in his position, right? But um, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, con- yeah, controversy. No, it's like uh, just conversation around that at least, for sure. Anything on, do you have any thoughts on the Georgia race? Yeah, I think um, this was more surprising for me because uh, leading up to the election day, I mean, Herschel Walker, he had the pretty big scandal with, um, you know, the abortion, the women coming out accusing him or claiming that um, they'd had an affair with him and that he'd later paid them for abortions. Right. And, you know, this is in stark contrast with his pro-life position. You know, he's um, kind of uh, branded himself as a uh, a Christian uh, Republican. Right. And it was yeah, it was predicted that that would definitely, you know, play a role within his race. And, you know, it even involved his son. Um, if you know him, Christian Walker. Right. He's on like TikTok. Um, you know, he's the <laughs> yeah, he's kind of the face of like Gen Z Republicans. And he came out against him, too. So it was, you know, relatively big thing. Right. So I was surprised that it was this close. I mean, it's, you know, it's going into runoff. So we don't even know yet. But um, yeah, that was definitely surprising to me. Right. And we'll see about the runoff. I think there's, with the 50 seats secured, there's a lot less momentum going into the runoff. Uh, and I've it, it's not, not really been talked about, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, now shifting to the House, which Republicans regained. So the responsibilities of the party that controls the House include uh, control over agendas, such as what's discussed on the floor, um, control over committees, for example, investigative commu- co- uh, committees, and of course, the investigations uh, that uh, the House can conduct. Uh, with Congress divided between Democrats and Republicans, it's sweeping leg- legislation, such as Biden's American Rescue Plan, which is the COVID relief bill, uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, which also incorporated climate change spending. They're almost all completely out of the picture, unless with not without some form of uh, negotiation. Uh, at, yeah, but at the same time, this is still very much a best case scenario for Democrats, like I had said earlier with uh, uh Dave Weigel's, uh, what he had found from his communications with uh, various Democrat voter groups. Um, and a big thing was the voters in the youth. So those in Gen Z and millennial age, millennial age groups uh, voted in droves. Uh, there are a lot of statistics you can find on that. And Biden saw some of the best midterms for an incumbent president uh, in decades, something like 20, 24 years. So, Leon, what do you think was really important for voters, especially since midterms tend to favor the non-president's party? So some ideas I'll throw out, like Roe v. Wade or the issue of the future of democracy, which is a big issue considering, or some people think of it as a big issue considering the amount of election deniers that are uh part of these elections or do you think it's a lot more on the shorter scale such as the economy or inflation yeah i think um well that's definitely kind of the difference in narrative right going into it um 
Democrats led with kind of the uh, upholding democracy and maintaining, you know, the, the U.S., you know, what it's unique for versus, you know, Republicans did focus a lot more on what is arguably a lot more uh, real of an issue. It's more tangible, right? Because, um, you know, people are most likely going to be thinking more about gas prices and the price of food compared to maybe, you know, upholding democracy, which is a little bit more of an ambiguous idea. So that was definitely, um, yeah, I think there was a lot about that going um, into this midterms. And then, like, like you mentioned, Roe v. Wade definitely played a role. Um, I think in Kansas and Pennsylvania, there was a huge jump in the proportion of uh, registrants that were women following the uh, Dobbs decision, which was, you know, what overturned Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, following uh, the Dobbs decision again, um, there was a lot of polling that suggested that Democrats were overtaking Republicans. There was the, uh, the generic ballot, which is a kind of a poll that's just like, which party do you support going in, you know, to the midterms for Congress? It's right. not necessarily about a particular candidate, but just in general, right? And um, different Democrats were leading in that, and they were outperforming, um, you know, their expectations in special congressional elections. So mm -hmm. definitely a lot of signs that indicate um, that Roe v. Wade played a big role. But um, I think another thing that is important to mention and has been kind of getting a lot more tension now is uh, Gen Z and the millennial vote and, you know, the importance that played right. in the current election. Yeah. And some statistics I was reading up um, from the American Progress Report, I believe, mm -hmm. um, going into the next presidential election. 2024 which is just in two years gen z and millennials are making up greater than it's something like 44 percent of the voter base which is a lot yeah uh, that's people our age so <laughs> yeah well that's and, i guess uh, that's us <laughs> yeah that is, that is us and um you know there's um also a guardian article that was talking about um the exit uh polls showing that um one in eight midterm voters were under 30 and then 61% of those between the ages of uh, 18 and 34 voted for Democrats. So this young generation, definitely a big voting block for the Democratic Party. I think um, there's a lot of kind of rejoicing about the turnout um, for that. And, you know, it was a little bit unexpected, um, supposedly, because uh, pollsters, you know, going before the midterms, right? So predicting what would happen, they didn't really um, have the means to kind of gauge... Uh, youth turnout mostly because you know they're more focused on a uh, conventional um right like statistics talking about like cable news right. and you know yeah more uh traditional things right and, not too much focus and also, on um social media a lot of the time the way they sample these people is through phone calls <laughs> yeah and, uh, i mean yeah. <laughs> personally i don't know if i'm picking up <laughs> yeah. like... and also um i apologize the report from earlier was the center for american progress right um yeah yeah sorry yeah one last thing i think um there was some commentary on um msnbc as well talking about the youth vote another thing i thought was interesting was that you know this generation um that's now voting um the gen z block especially is kind of the first generation that's kind of grown up with um you know the climate of school shootings um Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's kind of something of interest to look out for because um, that's definitely an issue that's, you know, 
increasingly going to be on the mind of voters, right? Um, for us, basically, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's weird to think about that it's us going into it. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. <laughs> it, feels, it feels a little surreal. So maybe we can talk about a bit about both the history of this and also what it'll look like in the future. So the last time we had a Democrat Senate and a Republican House was the 113th Congress, uh, which was held from January of 2013 to January of 2015. Um, and what happened in 2013 under those conditions? Uh, well, there was a government shutdown uh, due to disagreements over the debt ceiling and the falling out of negotiations between Republicans uh, who were, as part of that deal to uh, increase the debt ceiling, were trying to strip apart Obamacare. And the uh, Democrats refused to engage in those negotiations. So there's a 16-day government shutdown. Uh, the debt ceiling issue is one thing to consider for next year regarding a potentially uncompromising Congress on both sides. Uh, but maybe we can shift toward what House Republicans may be aiming to do with their newfound control in the House. Um, so earlier, we talked about investigations being one of the few things that the House of Representatives can conduct. And there are several that are pretty much all but certain with the new Congress. So here's a list from CNN. The first being the southern border. Um, especially with the rising, the ever-rising number of migrants, with 2 million migrants entering from the southern border uh, in the 2022 fiscal year. Secondly, the uh, Afghanistan withdrawal, which is seem, feels like such an afterthought, despite it having pretty big uh, repercussions. Um, and so there's some controversy behind Biden's decision and whether it was in spite of some of his senior advisors' objections. Um, thirdly, the origins of COVID-19, which um, the Republican Party, lots of members of the Republican Party have come out and said uh, they'd want to conduct an independent uh, uh, investigation into the origins of COVID-19 out of a distrust of the World Health Organization and out of Chinese reports. Fourthly, the Department of Justice and uh, what potential, what hands are at play going into, for example, investigations into former President Donald Trump. And lastly, uh, Hunter Biden and the issues behind his laptop and whether there was some kind of, uh, there was misplaying behind the uh, President Biden's 2020 campaign. But those are just a couple of issues that may be investigated. Uh, are these surprising to you, Leon? Uh, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think, um, well, firstly, the investigations, right? Um, a lot of that's going to be, I think, uh, well, if you look at kind of what's happened with previous investigations, right, that the House and House has launched, right? Um, a lot of it lasts like a news cycle or two, and it won't really have an impact is kind of the general consensus I'm seeing right now. It's, you know, mostly for kind of um, getting that on the media and being able to talk about it. Right. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, like 
Afghanistan withdrawal. That kind of feels like a while ago now, right? So things like that, it, you know, I'm not too sure how much that'll play into um, kind of voters and uh, what they think. But um, yeah, talking about um, control of Congress, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, until now, obviously, last two years, Biden did have, you know, the democratic control of, um, uh, you know, bicameral control of Congress, right? Right. But, um, you know, unfortunately, right, not much was able to happen. I think um, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to left to desire um, from these two years. I think um, Democrats were especially uh, kind of frustrated, I think, with um, dissenters within the party which was a pretty big, played a big role in um, policymaking, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about like um, Joe Manchin, Christian Cinema. Um, yeah. You know, they're kind of part of the reason why uh, the filibuster wasn't abolished or the $15 minimum wage didn't happen. And the reason why the um, Build Back Better Act was kind of curbed into the um, Inflation Reduction right. Act. Yeah. And um, talking a bit more about that, right, I think... The um, passing of the IRA was um, pretty interesting following that. Um, so briefly what it is, right? It's the uh, you know Inflation Reduction Act, originally kind of talking about uh, combating climate change, creating jobs, um, deficit reduction, and um, taxing, uh, taxation, right? So this was going to be $738 billion um, raised in taxes, uh, $391 billion in uh, climate change spending, and then... $238 billion in deficit reduction. So, you know, a lot of money going into that. And um, so initially, right, I think one thing people might remember is that um, there was this talk about the $35 insulin cap, um, which is part of the um, IRA as well, which got gutted out um, because this was blocked by Republican senators. So this is kind of a um, perfect example, right, of um, the filibuster, which is sort of this... Um, for those who don't know, it's an unintended consequence of the fact that people on the Senate floor can kind of talk as long as they want right. to, holding up the uh, yeah the debate process. Some some famous examples being <clears throat> Bernie Sanders' eight-hour filibuster speech, which you can find on YouTube. I believe Rand Paul had a thirteen-hour filibuster speech, and I think the longest in history uh, was in the 50s or 60s but it was 24 hours yeah <laughs> so, so continue. <laughs> yeah no no it's some pretty crazy stuff right um so a lot of debate about whether that should stay right we'll i'll get to that kind of in a moment with the IRL, ira too but um so yeah um filibuster basically you need um three-fifths of the uh voting block um within the senate so you need 60 uh votes a super majority is what it's called um, to get anything into the voting stage or sorry to get yeah to um, to enter cloture which will be ending the discussion phase and then going into the vote where then you need um, three-fifths of the Senate vote and um, you know because of that a simple majority is never enough to get anything passed right so when you have even one dissenter right like Joe Manchin or Kristen Cinema, that easily blocks things right so um, you know there was uh, talks about um, uh, sorry about um, removing the filibuster in relation to um, voter reform and election reform bills. And so Joe Manchin blocked that. He was kind of citing the fact that um, it was potentially it would lead to um, volatility in the in Congress if a simple majority could legislate. So 
you know, he's kind of arguing too much would happen and that it would be too unpredictable and that um, there'd be a decreased incentive to reach across the aisle because, you know, you can kind of govern within your own party, right? But right. obviously, yeah, the argument against the filibuster is that the majority isn't ruling. And then on top of that, a lot of the times it's just gridlock. Literally nothing happens. And that's kind of what, for the most part, what happened. Um, and, you know, the IRA, the way it passed is actually interesting because um, this, I think, is a little lesser known. It got passed because um, of this special parliamentary procedure known as um, reconciliation. This is something that's hmm. only able to be invoked like twice or three times maybe per year. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to kind of um, expedite the process of a lot of these bills that have to do with um, budget. So the IRA, right, because it's talking about the government budget and deficit was able to get passed with only a simple majority. So it didn't have to enter the filibuster to get passed. And that's really the only reason it happened too. So kind of the dynamics surrounding the filibuster and how that's shaping um, the Senate and, you know, policymaking in general is really interesting. Yeah, it's unfortunate in terms of what Biden had promised for a lot of the spending or a lot of the plans for spending uh, in his Build Back Better uh, policy got cut out simply for the fact that, uh, you know, these... Yeah, I mean... For example, Joe Manchin, his special interests uh, in the coal industry, right? Yep, and Christian Cinema too, has a lot of donations coming in. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a whole lot of... Um, that's, a, that's an entire conversation to be had, I right. think. Right? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> To shift topics a little bit, let's look a little farther to the 2024 presidential election, starting off with a familiar name and maybe exploring some others. Donald Trump announced that he was running for president in 2024 four days ago, despite some infighting among Republicans who placed the blame of a poor midterm showing on him. Mike Pence will not be running alongside, alongside him this time around, though, after the January 6th Capitol attack ended any semblance of their relationship. So Pence recently said that Trump's words on January 6th had put him and his family in danger and also said that there were there would be better candidates for Republicans in 2024. We also got some news earlier today from Elon Musk of Twitter, uh, who conducted an open poll asking whether he should reinstate former President Donald Trump, who was banned two days after the January 6th Capitol attack. Uh, with 15 million votes, a slim majority of 51.8% voted in favor of reinstating him. Um, Elon Musk cited the Latin phrase, Vox Populi Vox Dei, meaning the voice of the people is the voice of God, and said Trump will be reinstated. And he is reinstated as we speak. Uh, putting aside the issues Twitter is currently facing right now, uh, what do you think this means? And will it really matter? Um, yeah, I think, well, first of all, talking about um, Donald Trump and um, his role going into the midterms, right? right. Um, just about him, first of all, this is really, um, I, I find it pretty funny quote. Um, and he goes, uh, well, he's being interviewed about his role, right, in the midterms, right? I believe this is before, um, you know, any of the polling results are out. And he says, well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. 
and if they lose, I should not be blamed at all. And yeah, that's, right. Uh, that's I, his I, quote, I, right? Yeah. So you know, that's kind of. Um, I think he's uh, going true by those words. Um, he's kind of um, right. I mean, I think he's mostly deflected or avoided talking about um, his party's performance, and he's kind of, um, in spite of everything, announced his candidacy, right? And um, mm-hmm. so, going with all that, I think Donald Trump. You know, it's hard to say how the GOP election will play out and um, what his role will be. Definitely, he has his um, voter block um, in the, uh, you know, the MAGA block, right? So I'm sure he still has a pretty big, um, you know, hold on the Republican Party, but definitely the uh, kind of the shift in interest within the party, like you mentioned, the infighting, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, seeing a lot of, I suppose, dissenters from the, uh, the Trump era Republican Party will be interesting, right? And um, as for Twitter, Elon Musk, right, um, you know, I think, well, first of all, everyone kind of expected Elon to reinstate Trump after, you know, he took over Twitter. That was kind of um, Uh something that people, I think, took mostly for granted, I think. And, um, you know, it happened, right? And I don't think it'll be a major, you know, issue. It's just that. Now, instead of um, his quotes being on Truth Social, it'll just be on Twitter. So, yeah, I mean, right. And actually, you bring up a good point about Truth Social. Uh, that there's also a likelihood that, despite being reinstated, he won't really return with full force to Twitter, especially considering his current presence on his own platform, Truth Social. Though, I think it, in terms of publicity, it's all to his benefit, uh, Donald Trump's pe- benefit to return to Twitter, especially considering the audience. Uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, to his platform. Yeah, I'm sure his PR team will definitely, you know, campaign team will definitely want him on Twitter, right? So we'll see how that goes, right? Um, it'll definitely be interesting to say the least. Him on Twitter has been, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, if if it's, Twitter uh, doesn't yeah. shut down before then. We'll see. Yeah, that that's man. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, moving on. On the other hand, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is looking like a potential front runner for Republicans in 2024, though he hasn't yet announced a campaign. Uh, the Republican Party is still reeling from a disappointing midterms and a divided presidential candidacy stacks another issue on top of that. Do you have any thoughts about this? Or at the moment, do you see a more realistic candidate for Republicans between them or between anyone else? Um, you know, I think um, kind of I briefly mentioned, but I do think the GOP candidacy is really hard to predict. Right. Um, especially with kind of the uh, current climate of the party where it's a lot more about, um, you know, it's a lot of reactionary politics. So it's not too much about policy and, you know actual ish stances on issues and it's a lot more about kind of um the current trend right and um it's a lot more emotional i think mm-hmm. and so because of that there's a lot of talk about you know possibly donald trump and ron DeSantis splitting that republican vote in 2024 with right. kind of their own blocks right but you know i think it's important to remember that it's very very hard to predict politics um mm-hmm. within the republican party right now and you know it may not be as simple as we see it kind of going forward although For sure yeah desantis i think definitely has a real shot so mm-hmm. 
and maybe looking across the aisle, uh, presidential candidacy for Democrats in 2024, it, it's barely been talked about. Um, I mean, rightfully so. There are a lot more current issues uh, that are a lot more relevant. Um, but especially with the looming existence of a, an aging Biden, he's 80 years old as of today. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And he's he stated that he intends to run, though he hasn't announced an official campaign yet. Uh, now, between between us, just talk freely. Would you advocate for a second Biden term for Democrats? And if not, who are your ideal replacements? Um. Well, okay. I think first I'll go with kind of what's generally being talked about right um when sure. it comes to biden's presidency you know there's definitely um the talk about experience versus age um his age is um you know either a merit or a demerit depending on how you look at it and um there's a quote in the associated press going you know there's something to be said for experience i believe this was um dartmouth college historian and um you know and then the other side being that uh well biden is 80 and a lot of his kind of recent appearances have been nerve-wracking for his supporters, I think. Um, yeah. There was, yeah, recently he's misspoken about the country he was visiting, I believe, with Colombia and Cambodia. Um, oh, what? Yeah. So he was with world leaders and um, he twice, I think, made that mistake. Um, so not the most, you know, confidence-inspiring candidate, I think, when it comes to his age, right? And it's very easy for Republicans to kind of attack that, and as they have been doing, right? You know, Sleepy Joe, right? So, you know, there's that. And mm -hmm. then I think more real to me is um, kind of the uh, discussion about his stances on different issues and kind of his role as a moderate and historically, right? Like what he did as vice president and, you know, um, his... Uh, kind of um, the terms he served prior to that within um, well, the different roles he served, right? And talking about kind of, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy about pre-President Biden, mm -hmm. um, his political career leading up. And also even, you know, thinking about now, he's definitely a lot more of a moderate face within the Democratic Party, which I believe, um, you know, some progressives are kind of critical of. Um, there's a lot of uh, voices saying that he should be a little more, you know, harder on the Republican Party. And, you know, his attempts to kind of reach across the aisle might be in vain is a lot of um, criticism from the Progressive Party. So that could be interesting how he might actually split the vote between kind of the uh, younger millennial Gen Z vote, which often tends to be more progressive than the, uh, you know, kind of older Democratic bloc. Right. Right. So, yeah, for some, um, it's and so and there's still there's still two years left to go with his current presidency. So we're looking at not just two years, which is the election. We're looking at six years <laughs> to the end yeah. of, of a potential second term, which by that time he'll be 86 and yep and going f as we move on all these 
these big names in politics are getting older and older. Um, I, I think a big change recently, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi stepping down uh, from yeah. her roles in Democratic leadership, and it, it's very much looking like we're getting um, a younger face, right? Uh, Hakeem yes, Jeffries. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And Hakeem Jeffries, he's in his 50s, I believe. And and he'll be potentially the first um, black uh, speaker or minority speaker of the House. Or minority mm-hmm. leader, sorry. Um, and yeah, I think that there needs to be some kind of shift toward it. Uh, younger politicians because there's def. Otherwise, we're just getting older and older. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't infinitely get older, right? <laughs> but yeah, um, just quickly, yeah, to other candidates, I suppose. I'm not too sure who I have yet, but um, you know, an obvious one is uh, Kamala Harris. I think um, the Democratic Party is looking at her because you know, I mean, she does carry a pretty confident um black vote i think and you know i mean with biden not as much her approval rating in the current administration not too much but individually i think she performs pretty well and then um another person i find interesting is um gavin newsom um california governor and um uh-huh. you know he's repeatedly stated he's not running but um a lot of speculation around that the way he's been kind of um you know interacting with Ron DeSantis and he's been kind of involving himself in the uh, national political sphere, right? Has a lot of people wondering whether he'll run, right? So I just thought that was interesting because he's made it a really strong point that he's not running. <laughs> Unlike a lot of these other candidates, he's made it very clear that he's not running, but you know, it's right. seems like a lot of Democrats are turning to him. So we'll see about that. And I do believe he's, if Biden isn't running, um, that's what I've read is that he's been in communication with some donor groups regarding a potential presidential candidacy. Yeah. But that's only in the case that Biden doesn't run. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things. And maybe we still have some time to, before we wrap up. Do you have any extra thoughts at all? That something we didn't touch on? Um, well, I think just to general, just like, um, kind of a thought going forward with the next two years, it'll be interesting, um, kind of seeing how everything plays out right from here. Um, kind of all these issues we've discussed are still ongoing, especially, um, you know, like that runoff is still happening. Things are still going, but I'm just curious, looking forward to the next news cycles, right? We've had Trump announce his candidacy, Biden might, right? And then we'll soon be directly in the um, kind of that motion for the presidential election, right? So for a midterm, I'm just kind of thinking like, this is pretty eventful in that sense. I think um, a lot was on the line this midterm. Um, and it was kind of interesting following it in general as right. a, yeah, as like and a summary, it, right? And it, you bring up a good point about staying the upcoming news cycles a big thing is just keeping yourself informed i think especially with asij students uh we have so many facilities to keep ourselves we have the facilities to keep ourselves informed informed Mm -hmm. for example of course 
our at school Japan Times membership or our universal free New York Times membership. Yep, which is a, is a great resource. Um, so I think taking advantage of those is really important. Um, and another thing for us seniors, even juniors going into two years from now, uh, maybe even sophomores, is the fact that we'll all be in the voting in voting age. So we have the potential to get registered, which I yeah. think is something to consider, even if you live overseas about that yeah i mean i wasn't able to write not an early birthday but yeah i'm pretty sure um i mean i know people that are in our grade right um not necessarily at our school but um that yeah. voted and you know i thought that was really cool right so you know this will become a lot more real as we go to college and whatnot right going forward um for us for seniors at least um for sij students i think um this will be definitely politics and you know current events is a huge part of um just the culture and the climate in the states right so i think it definitely just beyond being a knowledgeable like politically inclined person it's you know it plays into like every day people talk about this stuff right so yeah sure. it's yeah definitely good to know for sure especially as asij tries its hardest to make sure we're global thinkers that's a big thing right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, solve uh, solve global issues right. or something. Okay. <laughs> so as we wrap up, I mean, let's. We've been talking pretty seriously, so let's let's play a little game. Oh no! Um, did okay. You, did you practice for this? Um, I might have seen. Okay, I did not intend to, but I might have seen something. Okay, let's try it. Anyway. Assuming. Okay. Okay. Okay, so name every president, starting with Biden, going backwards, uh, and name name the president, and name how many terms they did. The terms is going to be tough. Go for it. Okay, I mean, Trump, obviously, um, one term, and then Obama for two terms. Um, I know it's Bush, um, but I'm thinking... That's two terms, right? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and then Clinton, that's two terms. Actually, I know that. Yep. Um, and then... Um, God, I want to say... Wait, it's not... It's not Reagan 2 next, is it? It's... um. This is so recent. It's not even that long ago. <laughs> um, um, oh, 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 um, Bush, 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 Bush one senior. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. How many um, times? One, right? Yes. Okay, and then Reagan two. Yep. Um, I'm not gonna lie. This is where it ends for me continuously. I mean, I know, I know, I know Nixon's down there, but okay, that's I'll, a little okay, further I'll, down. I'll take it from here. Okay. And maybe you can search it up to fact check me. Okay, okay. I believe it's just... Carter. Okay. One term. Um, oh. Sorry, I don't have it up yet. Um, so, it's Jimmy Carter, one term. Yeah, okay, you're right. It's Gerald Ford. Yes. Which is... What? Technically a term, right? And then Nixon, two yes. terms, technically. <clears throat> um... Ooh, 
LBJ. Yes, correct. Technically two terms. Or one term. Oh, no. Is I mean, it technically one? two terms. Is because... it one and a half? Okay. And yeah. That, and JFK is just that one half, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Eisenhower. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, Eisenhower. Waiting, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. As in our two terms, right? Yeah. Yep. You're right. I'm not sure why I waited. Um, <laughs> okay. As in our two terms, and then Truman. Dang. Two terms. I mean, this is that AP U.S. history. That's Come correct. No, that is correct. Okay. FDR, four terms. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. 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 Uh. <sighs> Hoover. Oh, there's no way. Yeah, it is Hoover. I can't name how many terms, though. I'm going to say one term. Correct. Coolidge, one term. E- oh, no, Warren yes. Hart. Wait, oh, Harding? I mean, it, no, you're right, Coolidge. It's Coolidge? Oh, oh, Wilson. Oh, wait, no. No, Harding. Yeah, 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 it's Harding, Harding. Oh, it falls apart here. I, and, and then I think it's Wilson. It is, yeah. I mean, no, this part I actually know too, just because of that um, APS history. And, uh... Wilson, how many terms? Two terms. Okay, yeah. And before that is... Taft? Yeah. <laughs> You're actually crazy um, at this. Okay. <laughs> and before that is... I mean, this should be easy. This one should be easy. Roosevelt. Yes. Before that is McKinley? Roosevelt terms? Two terms. Yep. McKinley. Mm-hmm. Okay, McKinley, I... Yeah, that was... And that's where not. it falls apart. I don't know where else... Who else it is. Who's who's before that? It's Cleveland. Um, oh, one term. It's his second term. Um, Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, because you have Harrison between, yeah. All right, let's wrap it up, though. <laughs> All right, so as we wrap up... Thank you for those who stuck with us this whole time. We're fooling around at this point. Yep. Um, and if you really enjoyed it or hated it, please reach out and give us your feedback. Special thanks to our guest, Leon. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> so go follow our new Instagram, by the way. is at asij.whatsthedealio. And if you haven't already, check out our last episode on Ally Week by Joanne and the leaders of the Gender Sexuality Alliance at ASIJ. I'm Kentaro, and this was What's the Dealio? Thank you.